Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. We want to open up our Bibles tonight to the book of 1 Corinthians. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Uh, so tonight we've been, uh, over the last few months, we've been making our way through the book of 1 Corinthians. And I've been, um, I've been uh, going verse by verse, and uh, and as often as we can, and get through these this incredible uh, book of the Bible uh, because of how widely it varies, and it's a, a very powerful message that the Word of God has for us tonight. And I want to uh, continue in that tonight with First Corinthians chapter 14. If you'll remember the last time we looked at 1 Corinthians a couple of weeks ago was we in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 where we spoke about the love of God, the self-sacrificial love of God which can radically change our lives. Tonight I want to talk about uh, chapter 14 where the Apostle Paul begins to give us some instructions on how to build the church. And um, and so if you've ever been involved in a building project, or maybe you've driven by a building project, um, you will know that in order to create a building, a building where life is going to happen, uh, wherever you live, your house began with a building project. That building project did not just appear out of nowhere. A building always comes as a result of people who, first of all, have to prepare the ground. Uh, there's going to be some necessary materials involved. Uh, they're going to need concrete to pour a foundation. They're going to need pipes in order to have plumbing. There's going to need to be some copper wire to run electrical. There's going to need to be tiles or carpet or some kind of wood flooring. All of these are materials that need to be purchased and then fashioned together into a place uh, where your house, uh, where you can live. Inside, you're going to put up a bunch of drywall for your walls. Uh, there's a vinyl siding or perhaps uh, there's masonry for the outside, the exterior. You have to have shingles to put on the roof. Uh, this is going to make it so that your house, hopefully, is weatherproof so that the outside elements don't come inside. Uh, but I want to make the case to you tonight that, that one of the most important parts of any building project is lumber. Lumber is the, the frame on which everything else is hanging. The lumber, the, the wood frame, is what holds up the walls. It's what holds up the roof, the trusses. And uh, once that foundation is laid, that's when the framing begins. And once the framing is done, then everything else can continue. 
So I want to make a case to you this evening from the Word of God that I believe that in the spiritual house that God is building, which is his church, you and I are being built up together into a spiritual house. And in that house, there are a couple of ingredients that must get right before all the other furnishings can happen, before all the other fancy things can take place. There's a couple of really foundational things that this this, uh, scripture we're going to read will speak about. So we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 14, beginning with verse 1, where it says, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries, but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets, that the church may receive edification. So this is a message I've titled, How to build the church. Let's pray for just a moment. Lord, we pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to help us once again. I'm praying, God, that you would pour out your spirit tonight, God. Keep this live stream up and running without any problems. And God, I'm praying tonight that you would bless the the reading of your words as we hear them and interpret them tonight. Lord, we thank you for all that you're doing in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, Amen. Thank God. I want to speak tonight how to build the church because that is really the main goal of what Paul is speaking about in our scripture tonight. The main goal is the word that is used again and again over in, in, this, uh, in this chapter. It is the word edification. So remember in context, we've just come out of chapter 13, where Paul gives us one of the most beautiful descriptions of love in all the Bible, self-sacrificial love. And now Paul is helping us to understand how that love needs to be harnessed so that the kingdom can go forward, can be built. So Think about this tonight. It is um, useless to have all of God's love in your heart and then never to be expressed outside of the theoretical or hypothetical. See, the love of God is something that is meant to be expressed. It is meant to be harnessed and used for the kingdom. The love of God, as long as it remains uh, interior, as long as it remains held back, it is really useless. But as the love of God must be expressed. And so th- that's how these two chapters are connected. In verse in chapter 13, Paul describes the incredible love of God, which is imparted into us. But now in chapter 14, uh, the apostle Paul begins to show us how that love plays out in the building of the church. And I would argue tonight that the way that God's love pours out in the church is that we would all be edified. This is such an important uh, concept from the Bible, from the Word of God tonight. You have to understand this. Everybody say the word edification. 
Edification is something that God wants us to experience. Look at how often this term is used just here in chapter 14, verse 4. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. Verse 5, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. Uh, second half of the verse says, in, it, indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. Verse 12 says, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church. And finally, verse 26, same chapter. Whenever you come together, uh, each of you has a psalm, a teaching, a tongue, a revelation, an interpretation, but let all things be done for edification. Okay, pastor, what does that mean? I don't use that word in my daily language. What does it mean to be edified? It's very simple. It means to be built up. The word edification, the, the root of that word edifice or uh, edify. So, so you can use that word when it, in regards to like the, the building, the face of a building. So if you're walking down the street and you look up and you see a huge building there and you can say, wow, that building has a nice edifice. What are you saying? It, it means that it's been built up well. It looks really nice. It, somebody had to edify it, had to build it up. The literal translation of this Greek word means to build a house. To build, uh, whether literally or figuratively, it's, uh, it's promoting the spiritual growth and development of character of believers, both uh, individually and corporately. It's speaking about spiritual progress as the result of labor. Listen, one of the things you need most in your Christian life is to be edified, to be built up in strength, in grace, in mercy. Have you ever uh, gone by a, a house that was started but never got finished? I remember for years in Chandler, Arizona, there was a building very close over there, close to the, uh, the Chandler Mall, uh, not far from the, the Chandler Church there, and they had uh, they had built a frame. They had poured the concrete. They had uh, they had built some kind of structure, but for almost a decade, it remained there completely useless. See, it's not enough that the foundation was laid. It's not enough that they put a frame and they uh, they created some kind of structure because it was absolutely useless, just wasting space in the ground as long as it was not finished it was not edified it had been built to a point and then it remained lifeless empty and taking up space i wonder if that describes some of you who are watching this live stream or you're there in the building tonight that god has begun a good work but you have failed to be built up in the most holy faith there's reasons why some people, they get to a certain point of maturity and faith in Christ, and then they stop. It's like they stop advancing. That building is a picture of your life, that the foundation which was laid for us in Christ, He is our foundation. The, the gospel is that foundation. There was a, a, a few things. You had a religious experience, and there was some kind of structure that was added to that foundation. But how many understand that salvation and Christianity is about 
being built. God is building us. It's a process of faith and maturity and obedience to the word of God. And this is how God wants to edify your life. And even bigger than that, God wants to edify his church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So all of this whole letter so far that Paul has written to the Corinthians, all of this is meaningless unless someone who is hearing this letter is going to commit themselves to build not just their own personal lives, but to build the church. That should be our goal, beloved, is to build the church of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you tonight, what are you doing to build the church? What are you doing to build the church of Jesus Christ? We must tonight be committed to this idea of building. Listen, listen to how Paul uh, exhorts his audience as he is encouraging them to be builders of the church. First of all, in very very first verse here, he says, pursue. Everybody say the word pursue. Pursue love. What does that mean? The Greek word here, it means to run swiftly in order to catch a person or thing to run after. It's what some of you do when the ice cream man comes to town, comes down your street. Oh, you pursue with all your heart, your soul, your strength. Don't leave me, ice cream man. I'm coming after you. Pursue. It means to press on, to seek after eagerly, earnestly, endeavor. Some of you have never, uh, have not pursued the will of God the way that Paul is saying here. Pursue love, he says. Pursue the love of God which is willing to lay itself down for the sake of the kingdom of God. The second word he uses, action word in this scripture, is desire. He says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Say that word out loud tonight, desire. Desire means to burn with zeal, to be zealous in the pursuit of good, to strive after, to be busy about the business of the kingdom. Can you hear Paul's uh, encouragement here? that this should be more than just something that I'm going to get around to sometime. No, this ought to be something that is on the top of our priority list. This ought to be something that is on the top of our mind, on the top of our heart, pursuing love, desiring something that is going to build the church. What is it that Paul said to desire? Spiritual gifts. This is a top priority. Now, some people who have read chapter 14, you already know what it's going to be about. You know it's about speaking in tongues and interpretation and order in the church services and all those things are absolutely important. However, the main discussion that Paul is bringing up here is not just about tongues and interpretation and order in the service. The whole point, the whole context of this chapter is about how to build the church, how best to be edified 
in our faith, how to move from foundation to structure, how to move then from structure to having some, uh, having a place that is useful and helpful for the kingdom of God. This is the whole point, and this is what we should be desiring. This should be the desire of our hearts tonight. So let's look at, at how to build. Because the Bible gives us a very clear idea of what it means to be built up in the faith. As, just as it begins in a natural building, so also it begins in a spiritual building with a foundation. As I mentioned, that foundation is our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11. No other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, verse 20. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. What is meant by that tonight is that we have a solid foundation. This We have a foundation that cannot be shaken. And as long as the foundation is good, then the rest is, uh, is not as difficult to build. We have a solid foundation in Christ. We have a solid foundation in our fellowship. We have a wonderful foundation of faith, uh, even in, in our spiritual forefathers, Pastor Mitchell, Pastor Campbell. We have an example that we can look to. We have a spiritual foundation that if we will do the right things, we can also build something that is useful and helpful for the kingdom of God. So there's no reason for us tonight to try to rebuild a foundation. Oh no, don't do that. We already have a foundation. Let us build upon the foundation which is already there. Then having a foundation, we also have a blueprint. A blueprint of obedience faith and prayer, we are able to obtain the blueprint of how to build. We see it in the word of God, Acts chapter 1, verse 4, as Jesus speaks to his followers before he goes back to heaven. He says that he commands them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. Jesus commands them to remain where they are. And so now it is up to them to obey the words of Jesus Christ. It is through their relationship with Jesus that they heard this word, and now they are commanded to obey. And the Bible says that that's exactly what they did. Verse 14, Acts chapter 1. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. And so they listened to the word of Jesus, and they obeyed, and they did what he called them to do. Aren't you glad tonight? Because as they did that, then they received the blueprint and began to obey. The first steps of our new convert phase are simply to obey those things that God has told us to do. It starts with water baptism. Being baptized in water is simply a response to the commandment of the Lord Jesus. It's, uh, it's giving up those old habits and lifestyles that, are, that were holding us back in our life of sin. It's simple obedience. It's simple, simple faith. And, and as we do that, that's when construction begins. So those foundations are necessary. But I want to tell you, a foundation by itself is not a great place to live, is it? 
a foundation, if all you have is a, is a concrete slab, it's still not a place that you would want to live. There has to be structure. There has to be something being built up. There, there has to be a roof, walls. There has to be all these things, a frame for it all to hang on. And then after you get the basic structures, then you can begin going in and adding some nice things, some, some carpet and some uh, kitchen uh, utensils and, and uh, bathroom fixtures and, and ceiling fans and lights and all the fancy things that we put in our houses to make it nice. But all of those things, look, you're not going to do all of those things until you have a structure. So construction has to begin. Listen to what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 9. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. So in this construction project, do you know what you are? You are the stones that are being pieced together into God's great building. Listen to what it says in 1 Peter 2 verse 5, you also as living stones are being built up into a spiritual house. You are being edified up into a spiritual house. Now, let me tell you about why your personal uh, edification, your personal journey is very important to the entire structure of God's church. Do you know why? Because you are a stone. Imagine a stone wall. So we human beings, we have uh, figured out ways to build in efficient ways. You know, we, we build bricks that are all the same size and it's easy to make a wall out of bricks because they're all the same size. It's predictable. You can put them together and it's going to be uh, a nice wall. Or if you're building with wood, you can, uh, you can go down a Home Depot and get two by fours that fill your truck up, man. And, uh, and we figured out that there's systems in place, but this is not how God builds his church. He builds his church out of stones. Stones are different than bricks. They're different from two by fours because every stone is unique. Just like every one of you is unique in the house of God. And listen, if I was to build a wall made out of stones, it takes a master craftsman to piece them together just right, to, to lay the, the, the cement in such a way that each stone will be built up together. And you can't just remove one of those stones and replace it with another one because that stone has its own perfect place in the wall in the structure, in the, and this is why when you start the journey of faith, God is going to use you. He's going to shape and polish you and put you, you know, if you've got some, some, uh, some aberrant, uh, a piece of you that's sticking off of one side, sometimes God has to knock that off before he can place you in to the wall. He's working on all of us. He's chipping away at rough edges and parts of us that will not fit well. And he's using us. He is, he is doing a work of grace in your life so that you can be part of the greater structure that is God's building project. Now, how does this happen? It happens by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and that's why this chapter about prophecy 
speaking in tongues and edification is so important for building the church. We see it in the book of Acts. So here they have the foundation. Christ has been crucified, risen from the dead. That foundation is laid. Then we have the blueprint that is given to them. You have to remain in Jerusalem, follow the commandment, obey what God wants us to do. And they do that. But then it starts to get real, doesn't it, in chapter 2. That, that, that scripture that we lay hold of so carefully. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I want you to notice a couple of things here. Number one, that the Spirit of God had a personal effect on every individual person there. This is God that is smoothing the rough edges off of your life. This, it led each one of them to begin to speak with a new utterance with other tongues. On that day, Though that utterance was, uh, was used in order to speak the gospel to other people that were there that day from other nations. So the first effect of this Holy Spirit day of Pentecost power is that it affected their mouth. The way they spoke, they spoke with new tongues that were all of a sudden used in a miraculous way by God to preach the gospel in languages that they did not know. That was a personal effect on their own lives. But look, as the Holy Spirit was changing them individually, what else was happening? That the church as a corporate body was also being built up. It was growing. It was like God took out his hammer and got some nails and started building and putting a frame together. And as he's doing that, the bigger picture is that day that 3,000 people got saved, added to the church, and God says, okay, let's get to work. We got to start working on them too because I've got more walls. I've got a ceiling to make. I've got a roof to build. I've got a patio. I've got a, I've got a deck I want to add. I want to add the two-car garage. And look, uh, you people, I love you so much and I'm glad that you're here. But look, there's more. I want to keep building, keep expanding. So notice the two things that are happening in Acts chapter 2. God is changing them personally so that His church can begin to grow and be built. This is how we build the church. It's through the Holy Spirit. See, the hammer and the nail of the church is the fruit of your mouth, building up one another in the faith. Romans 10, verse 10, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We know this from the book of James, the brother of Jesus, how important your mouth is, your tongue, that the Lord would be able to harness the power of your tongue. Because when God gets a hold of your tongue, he will use it to build his church. Now that's why this whole chapter, if you look at the context, you will understand why it's so important that we get it right. That tongues are supposed to be used for the building up of the personal faith, 
Because when your personal faith is built up, well, that's going to that's going to help build up the entire church around you. So, let's let's look at this idea and then we're going to close. Tongues for the believer, prophecy for the church. What Paul is trying to remind the church and trying to to give them this instruction and and for these 2,000 years, what the church has been uh, trying to understand here is that both the believer and the corporate church, both of them need to be edified. Both of them need to be built up. So the church as a corporate body cannot be built up unless individuals are built up. And by the way, the individuals... It would really help if the church was being built up. It would help them to be built up as well. So these are not exclusive. These are not separate. They are dependent on one another, that individuals are being built up and also that the corporate church is being built up. When one is doing well, then the other is also doing well. And when one is failing, then it could be, and most likely is, that the other is not doing well at the same time. That's why... We need edification for both, both the individual believer and the church. And Paul is telling us here that the way that the church is built, both personally in your own faith and also corporately as a body of Christ, the way that that happens is through the gifts of the Holy Spirit and more specifically speaking in tongues and prophecy. Now, so much of what follows this Later on in the chapter, as Paul discusses about interpretation and making sure that it's all done in, in its proper time and it's, it's in order, and as, all of that tends most of the time to overshadow the main point of what Paul is trying to say here. And I don't want, your, you know, the church has disagreed about this from, from charismatic churches to Pentecostal churches to, uh, to churches who are secessionist and, and say that, that you know the Holy Spirit, the speaking in tongues, uh, is only uh, uh, only applies to the first generation. There are some Christians who've made that that uh, that uh, that uh, argument. Um, but if if all we do is focus on that, then we've missed the main point of what Paul is trying to say. The whole point of this is edification, the edification of the church, building it up and also the edification of the believer. And in this, he is saying two points at the same time all throughout this chapter. And if you understand that, then you'll get the, the, the idea. He is saying, first of all, that the church is edified through prophecy. Prophecy. What is prophecy? Prophecy simply means somebody speaks out, empowered by the Holy Spirit, speaks to the church, bringing guidance, direction, and revelation. The church is edified by prophecy. Secondly, the point that Paul is making is that our personal faith is edified by speaking in tongues. Now listen, both of those things can be true without contradicting each other. Both of those things can happen at the same time. It is possible for us to be edified uh, personally, through speaking in tongues, the gift of tongues. And it's also true that the church can be edified through prophecy. Now, the problem occurs many times when things happen out of order, 
or when things don't happen at all. And I think that the secessionists, that those who believe that speaking in tongues is something that has ceased to exist in our generation, something that only happened in the first generation of believers, the reason that that is is uh, is so dangerous is because, well, then if the if the Holy Spirit's not moving through the speaking of tongues, then he's probably also not prophesying. And then what we end up with is is a church, <coughs> excuse me, where we have all the form and the function, where we have the services and the songs and the clapping, but we often, we don't have the supernatural. And that's why I'm so grateful for a Pentecostal church. I'm so grateful for Pastor Mitchell, who always, uh, many, many times as he would begin preaching, he would say, uh, thank God we are a Pentecostal church, right? He would do that. He would define that for everybody. We are a Pentecostal church. Why is that so important? Because in a Pentecostal church, the Holy Spirit is moving, moving through prophecy, moving through speaking in tongues, uh, not just speaking in tongues, but moving in many ways, bringing healing to the sick. And I'm not saying that those things never happen in a, in a church that's not Pentecostal, but I'm saying that in a Pentecostal church, that is not the bug, that is the feature. That is what we are all about. And Paul is trying to help us sort it out how this works. Let's talk about speaking in tongues, and then we'll close as speaking about prophecy. This is how we build up our faith, church. So, reasons that we ought to practice speaking in tongues. According to the Word of God, when we pray speaking in tongues, then we are praying to God. Look at verse 2 again. He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the Spirit... He speaks mysteries. This heavenly language that is given to us, speaking in tongues, is a prayer language that God understands even when you don't. And yet, even when you don't understand when you speak in tongues, and you never will, you're never going to understand what the language means, uh, there is also a personal benefit for speaking in tongues. Listen uh, to chapter... Uh, 14, again, verse 4. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. It builds me up in the faith when I speak in tongues. So the, the advantage of speaking in tongues is, number one, I'm praying to God in a language I don't understand, but Paul is saying that it builds me up in the faith. Jude 20, you, beloved, build yourself up in the most holy faith Praying in the Holy Spirit. That is praying in tongues, speaking out words. See, when the Lord, look, just like the, the believers in the book of Acts, when he is able to get a hold of our tongue and control what comes out of our mouth, then it builds us up so that we can be better stones building one upon another in the Holy Faith. Speaking in tongues is a wonderful thing to do. When you are depressed and down, and no matter what you're going through, if you, you know you begin speaking in tongues, you will notice an edification. It will build you up in confidence, in faith. It's not the only way that we pray. It is uh, in addition to praying uh, in in knowledge, is what Paul says. So 
uh, praying in tongues will put you into the will of God. Listen to Romans chapter 8, verse 26. The Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself, the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Listen, this is speaking in tongues, especially in uh, when it is used in your prayer life, it has a way to direct us into God's will for our lives. See, the Holy Spirit is active as we pray in tongues, and uh, and the the Spirit of God moves through us, speaking to the Father, and uh, it's a miracle that I can't fully explain to you, only to say that it really does build us up when we speak in tongues. So praying in the Spirit is not a sophisticated tongue. This is important. In other words, tongue is not a language that, you know, you're going to be able to create a dictionary from. It's not, uh, you know, it's not a language that is like other languages where there's going to be vocabulary and there's going to be grammar. No, uh, people who have tried to figure that out, uh, it's, it's, it's a, a fruitless experience because this is a heavenly language. It's a spiritual language, not a physical language like we have on the earth. And at the same time, even though the Spirit is not uh, a dictionary language, praying in the Spirit is also not gibberish. It's not uh, just you know what what uh, what um, what Jesus warned about about you know speaking uh, as the Pharisees do, just repeating the same gibberish over and over. It may sound foolish to people who have not been filled with the Spirit, but I tell you. Uh, speaking in tongues is the power of God. It may not sound like a language to you, but it is. It is a heavenly language that communicates with God, and I have experienced it myself so many times through speaking in tongues that I am able to communicate with God, to experience His presence, and even more than that, I am edified as a result. I am edified in my faith. I come away from that experience with greater faith, with greater confidence. Listen to Paul again in verse 14. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. That can be a good thing sometimes. Sometimes when your mind is is worried, when you're filled with anxiety or fear, uh, you need to bypass your mind. <laughs> you need to get past what the mind is is uh, is producing in your life. And speaking in tongues will do that. Because speaking in tongues is spiritual, it is a higher language than what your own mind can produce. Praying in tongues should never be forbidden. In verse 39, same chapter, my brothers, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Why? Because speaking in tongues builds us up, which will benefit the corporate church. It builds up our faith. It builds us up. And listen, um, listen. Uh, uh, praying in tongues will also help us to yield our tongue to God. James 3 verse 8, No man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full 
of deadly poison. No man can tame the tongue, but I tell you, the Holy Spirit can tame the tongue. The Holy Spirit is able to commandeer that evil uh, fire, that spark of a flame that is in your mouth and can repurpose, can, can, uh, can uh, capture the power of the, of the tongue. And I tell you this, praying in tongues is not just for the first generation. It is for every generation. Listen, all these signs will follow them who believe. Mark 16, 17. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. In my name, Jesus said, all who believe. Acts 2, 39. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call himself. It is evidence of God's power. Now, speaking in tongues is not the only thing that happens when you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. It is simply the first evidence that something has happened. Praying in tongues is the evidence of God's supernatural power in your life. And I tell you, praying in tongues will edify your life, will edify your spirit. I would encourage you, if you have not been uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, you've not spoken with other tongues, I encourage you to seek this out with all of your heart. It'll help you to be a more faithful believer. It will help you when you speak in tongues to be edified in your faith right alongside with reading your Bible and uh, and praying in knowledge and seeking God. Uh, but together, join that with speaking in tongues. And I tell you, it is a powerful, powerful combination. Now, at the same time, Paul is teaching about personal edification. He is also speaking about edification in the church. And the point that he's making is that when you speak in tongues to yourself, uh, no one will understand you. It will edify you, but no one else. And so Paul's making the point here in verse 3, he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. So verse 4, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, and he who prophesies edifies the church. Verse 5, he says, I wish you all spoke with, that's my wish for you too. But even more, I wish that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets. Okay, so now Paul is taking us into the realm of the church and the corporate uh, body of believers. And he's saying that, you know, in, in the realm of the church and in the church service, it is absolutely important. Yes, you on your own, in your prayer life, you need to speak in tongues. But in the context of the church service, it says, I don't want everybody just in their speaking in tongues. I don't want everybody, you know, just uh, uh, piping up at the same time, speaking in other languages. That's gonna help nobody. It may help you personally, but it's not gonna help the church. And so Paul says, for the church to be edified, what we need is prophecy. Now I'm making this point tonight as we close because I believe we need people to pray for the gift of prophecy. We need people in our church to pray for the gift of prophecy. Prophecy is not preaching. What I'm doing now, preaching the word of God, this is not prophecy. This should not be the end of God's word in our service. That there is a place in every service that we put for prophecy to occur. 
where God, we give a moment at the end of each service, at the altar call, where we remain, we wait for a moment. And you'll notice this. We do this at the altar call. And the reason we do, we want to give God the opportunity to speak directly by his Holy Spirit through prophecy. Now, oftentimes the way that this works, if you've been to a church where this happens, you've been in a service that as the altar call occurs, people are praying at the altar. And all of a sudden, someone will speak out in tongues, speaking out a word in faith. That's edifying to them, but it's not edifying to anybody else. That's why we also need the interpretation. Sometimes a prophecy can occur without the tongue, but the point is that those prophecies are so important to build up the church, to build up the church. Some of you, you've been in a church service where those prophecies, the, the, the few moments that it took to give a prophecy was more powerful than the rest of the entire service. And that's because God speaks God speaks through prophecy and Paul is desiring that there would be people who would take up this calling and say, maybe Lord, maybe you would use me to deliver a prophecy to the church. My prayer tonight is that you would pray about that. Somebody in our church would begin to deliver prophecies at the ends of our services. That is desperately needed. This is not, uh, this is not just for men in the church. This is open also for women. And uh, there's, there's no, obviously the Bible, uh, we, we have instruction that the teaching, the preaching of the church ought to be done by men, the leadership of the church. But there's no requirement. In fact, there's, there are female prophets in the New Testament who are filled by the Holy Spirit. So you women, you could rise up also. And all of these things done in order, done in a, a, a humble and a righteous spirit, not done to show off or to gain a name for yourself, all of this is done through love and through the edification of the church. I don't know about you. I want to see the church thrive. I want to see the church being built up. This is what happened on the day of Pentecost. God filled them with the Holy Spirit and the church began to build, began to be built up in faith, in in, in perseverance, built up in ministry, built up in everything that God was going to do. And I'm telling you tonight that our church, we need our church to be built up as well. It happens as you and I speak in tongues, we're edified individually, but also as a church, we need prophecy. We need the gift of speaking in tongues. Listen again to verse one as we close. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Why? Because prophecy is what edifies the church. It's what builds up the church. So a a new ministry, that's nice, but it's not edification. A new program, that's great. A new building, all of those things, wonderful. But what builds the church? Prophecy. I pray someone would capture a a vision tonight and get a revelation. Let's bow our heads tonight and Uh, Close our eyes for just a few moments. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vbph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website, vbph.org, and scroll down to find the Give button 
at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people. Oh,